The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. So you should know, I can't remember who won. I think Zane won the contest of the least amount of takes when we were recording all of our Christmas videos um, this year. Well, I'm really glad that you're here. If we haven't met, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bible to Isaiah. Uh, We're going to look at two different sets of texts. The first is Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 4, and then Matthew uh, chapter 12. The easiest way, of course, to access all of this is to utilize the YouVersion um, app, maybe on your phone or your tablet. There's an event that we have set up that lists all of the different texts that we're going to be reading through today, so we encourage you um, to do that. And one other thing, we, um, we shot these videos, I think, three weeks ago. And we got all the way through every single one of the videos with each pastor doing a different one for the different weeks throughout December. Um, Austin uh, Peterson, who was filming for us, put the camera away, left, and I think he was gone for about five minutes. And I said, you know, we didn't mention anything about offering in the welcome videos that we made. So we just want to encourage you, if you are a part of Westway Christian Church, we want to encourage you to be generous um, with, your, with your finances this season. And these are the ways that you can do that um, on, online. There are ways online. You can text. You can also leave um, an offering um, in the boxes in the back. So one of the things that I, I shared I struggle with a few weeks ago is how do, we, like, how do we talk about the Bible each and, every, each and every week? How do we talk about the Bible each and every year? And then Christmas rolls around, and it's the same thing. Like, we're all kind of familiar with the story. So how do we talk about it in a way that's, um, that's maybe a little fresh, that's, that's a little bit different than what we normally hear? Uh, last year, I'm in this group of pastors who make these videos once a month um, for KCMI, for podcasts, where we talk about all of these different topics, and sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree. And last year, as we were making our videos um, for last January, um, I started taking notes, and I said to myself, this is going to be my Christmas series for 2023. So this, um, today, what we're talking about, we're going to talk about this month, all came out of that video, so video series. So if it sounds a little familiar, um, it's because it was something that I was a part of last year, and I would encourage you in your version app, um, we've reposted a link to those videos. So if you kind of want a little heads up um, on what we're going to talk about on each Sunday, um, each week we're going to release a new video um, so you can kind of follow along that way. But our first text is Isaiah 42, uh, verses 1 to 4, and let's, uh, let's read that together. Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. As I was thinking about this text and I was thinking about this season, um, Lots of different things kind of flooded my mind. But the one that rose to the top, believe it or not, believe it or not uh, was the movie uh, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Um, 
And that sounds really weird, but stick with me for a second. So there's this scene in the movie where they're getting ready to have, uh, have dinner together, and Ricky Bobby's played by Will Ferrell, and, and they're all going to get together, they're going to have this meal, and, and the table is, is filled, and Ricky starts to pray, um, thanking God for the bountiful harvest of Domino's KFC and the always delicious Taco Bell. And then it gets more uncomfortable in the scene as Ricky, Ricky starts praying to the infant Jesus. His wife tries to correct him, and, and she, she tells him that Jesus did, in fact, grow up to be a man. And she finds his, his prayers to baby Jesus as, as a bit odd and off-putting. And Ricky Bobby uh, responds with this great line, and this is the one that, this is the one I was looking for as I had this clip in my brain. He says, look, I like baby Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. His wife continues, she says, I want you to pray this grace good so that God will let us win this race tomorrow. There are so many things I love about this particular scene. I, I think it's satire in the most brilliant form because, because what it does is it, it reveals a little bit about the way that we frequently pray when we pray. See, prayer in the Ricky Bobby universe is about Ricky Bobby. And I think for many of us, if we're not, if we're not careful, pray, prayer in our universe is about us. It's to us, it is for us. And the scene only continues to go downhill from there with Ricky eventually praying to eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus because after all, he likes baby Jesus the best. And as I've been thinking about this season, I think many of us tend to like baby Jesus the best. It's December and it's the season where Jesus is on the hearts and minds of just about everyone in our entire culture. So you don't have to be, you don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to believe in Jesus as your savior to celebrate Christmas. It's just everywhere. Go into any store and there are celebrations of Christmas. There are celebrations and reminders that Jesus was here. I think it's a time where, where many people like Ricky Bobby really like baby Jesus. Because I think baby Jesus is far more tolerable for us than beaten and bloodied Jesus on the cross. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago. And we, were, we were talking again about how we typically do Christmas series at Westway Christian Church. Why, why we talk about Jesus in this way. Why are we trying to understand who the real Jesus is? And, and this person reminded me of this conversation we had had a few years ago in a, staff, um, in a staff meeting. We were talking about Christmas and someone used the phrase, um, another crappy Christmas series at Westway. Um, we all kind of chuckled, and it's been a bit of a joke ever since. But I told my friend that the reason that we talk about Jesus in the way that we do here in December is we need to remember and be reminded of who the real Jesus is. We need to remember and be reminded of why Jesus actually came. And I think eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus makes a wonderful nativity scene. Baby Jesus is peaceful, and he's tender, and he's mild. This fits perfectly into our cultural narrative and cultural understanding of Jesus, right? See, we tend to think that, that Jesus loves everyone and Jesus tolerates everything. We tend to think that Jesus makes no demands 
on anyone, has no requirements of people who would be his followers. And I think that that sounds a lot like baby Jesus. There's this being in this manger that doesn't really demand or require anything of me. And I would say that Paul would describe those ideas and ideals about Jesus as behaviors and customs of this world. See, that's what the world thinks of Jesus. Jesus is sweet and tender and mild. No, no crying he makes, as the hymn says. But see, we're called to be transformed into new people by changing the way we think. We're called to have a full understanding of who Jesus is, of why Jesus came, of what Jesus came to accomplish. And in order for us to be transformed, we need to be washed in his blood and we need to receive the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us. The pathway to transformation is through Jesus. And I also think that eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus is neither strong enough nor powerful enough to deal with our sins. And yet he was born as an infant. He came as a baby. He was Lord at his birth. And that's a staggering thing for us to take into account. Scripture tells us that he was announced by angels and worshipped by shepherds and worshipped by wise men. He was born of a virgin and the same woman worshipped him as well. But if we're not careful, again, we're going to make Jesus meek. We're going to make Jesus weak person again who requires nothing of us so our challenge as we talk about christmas as we talk about jesus in december is we want to be introduced to the real jesus this has been a common thread over the last several years we want to we want to be introduced to the real jesus we want to represent the real jesus and the only way we do that is if we understand who jesus really is so let's look at matthew 12 verses 15 through 21. Begins this way, but Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. And this will sound familiar. Look at my servant whom I've chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. So here's, here's what we learn about Jesus from this text. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Jesus was chosen to bring justice. That's why Jesus came, according to today's text. And here's what we ought to be asking as we read through this text. Why, why did Matthew choose to include this text from Isaiah in this moment? What was it that was taking place at this point in the story of Matthew or the story of Jesus that Matthew thought, you know what, this would be a great way to slide this text from Isaiah in here, a great way to bring this prophecy into play. So let's look at kind of what's going on in Matthew chapter 12. 
begins with Jesus and his disciples there. They're walking through the grain fields on a Sabbath day. And if, you're, if you don't have a church background, you don't know what that means. The Sabbath was a day set apart by God um, on a day where you don't do any work. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to rest. It's a day to honor and reflect on who God is. And God is the demonstrator of this. After, after six days of creation, God rested. And he did that as an example for us. So the Sabbath day was a day of rest. You weren't supposed to do any work. Many years ago, Ann and I lived in this little town in, in northwest Iowa. And it was, it was a very, I don't, I'm trying to think how to describe um, this community. Um, they practiced this, let's just put it this way. They practiced the Sabbath in, in this town that we, live in, we lived in. We actually had some friends of ours that moved to the town and one Sunday afternoon, they were out hanging their clothes after they had washed them. And they actually had a neighbor come over and say, here in this town, we don't wash or hang clothes on Sundays. Sabbath is protecting the Sabbath. We didn't do things on the Sabbath. So as they're walking through this field, they're, they're taking the heads off of grain and they're eating them. And I imagine it was, it was probably, probably not even paying attention. It was probably pretty unconscious in the way that they were doing it. Um, in, the, in the town that I grew up in, uh, we, had, we had lots of woods. It wasn't anything like western Nebraska. We would go play in the woods all day, and we had these wild blackberries that grew in the woods. They were just all over the place. And in the summertime, as we were out playing hide-and-seek or all the other things that we were doing, like when we walked by a blackberry bush, you just grabbed them off and you just ate them. It was just something that you did. So I imagine that this is what the disciples are doing. They're hungry, they're walking through the field, and they're eating. But there's this group of Pharisees that see this, and they jump on Jesus. They jump on the disciples. And they say, look, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Look at what your disciples are doing, Jesus. They're violating the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were technically right. What the Pharisees were accusing the disciples of was actually true. They were living out, the Pharisees were living out one of the ways that justice is defined, ethical living. See, there are two mindsets when it comes to living a just life. One of them is living in a way that's ethical. Follows the rules, does the right thing. And this is the space that the Pharisees were operating under. They were operating under right living. This was in accordance with the Torah. And I love what Jesus does next in this text. This is verse 8, or verses 3 to 8 from Matthew 12. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there's one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. 
For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What Jesus is doing here is he's, he's reorienting them around the law. What Jesus is doing is he's telling them the purpose of the law. Personal ethic has a place, but if it doesn't, but if it doesn't manifest itself in mercy, if my righteousness doesn't reveal itself in the way I look after and treat others and care for other people, then it's just a personal righteousness. In fact, it's self-righteousness. And then Jesus goes to their synagogue where he notices a man who has a deformed hand. And again, the Pharisees are right there with it. This is at the end of chapter 10. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? I meant verse 10, sorry. Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more, per more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Isn't that fascinating that that's their response? And again, Jesus reorients them around the law. Just, I love the way Jesus uses the scriptures when he teaches the Pharisees. If your personal ethic is not leading you to bring justice to other people, your personal ethic is invaluable. There's no purpose to it. There's no point to it. Again, it's just self-righteousness. Let's reread verses 15, Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. But Jesus knew what they were planning. So again, here's, here's the context of our verse. This is why Matthew is going to bring this up. Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left the area and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but he, was, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I've chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. See, when we look at what's happening in this story, what we see is, is Jesus is not here for arguments. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus was not here to, to raise his voice in public. He's not going to fight. He's not going to shout. He's not going to cause a scene. 
That's not the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. Jesus came to accomplish justice. And the way that Jesus defines justice is is well-being for all. Jesus came to free people from the burdens of the law. And that's what we see here. The disciples are eating on the Sabbath. They're harvesting grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes to free them of that burden. If you're hungry, you are allowed to eat, whether it's the Sabbath or not. This man with the deformed hand, people are to be healed, whether it's the Sabbath or not, to free them from the unreasonable demands of the law. So again, why, why is Matthew quoting Isaiah in this moment? What does justice have to do with what Jesus is doing here? Well, we have to kind of go back to Isaiah for a minute. We need to understand a little bit what about the purpose of Isaiah's prophecy. If we were to go back then, what we would know is the kingdom of Israel had long been split into two. Israel was the northern king. Judah was the southern king. And a portion of Israel, a portion of this northern kingdom had been taken captive by the Assyrians. We've kind of talked about this before. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just the Assyrians being mean. See, God's people in the northern kingdom of Israel, what they had chosen to do was they had chosen to reject God's word. They knew all the things that God had expected of them. They knew all the things that God had required of them. They knew how they were supposed to worship. And primarily, they knew how they were supposed to treat other people. And this is such a key thing for us to understand. Like as we, as we read through the Old Testament, we see all the requirements of the law. One of the most important things that we need to recognize is it wasn't just keeping the law for law's sake, but it was, it was keeping the law so that the, the, the people who were the worst off in society, the marginalized people in society, the poor in society, the widows in society, the orphans in society, the aliens in society. See, what was supposed to happen was God's people were supposed to be a city on a hill, a light, and they were supposed to take care of all of those people. And instead, what they did was they focused on themselves. They stopped all of the proper worship. They brought all of these other gods gods in and all of these other idols. And they did all of these different things to worship all of these other gods and all of these other idols. And here's how that manifested itself. Here's how their worship manifested itself into bad behaviors. They treated people poorly. We talked about this in Romans. Everything that they were doing when it came to their worship was revealed by the way that they treated other people. So God, after warning them, he allowed the Assyrians to go in and take them captive. Essentially, it was as fine. You don't want to be my people. The Assyrians are going to be my judgment on you. The Assyrians are going to judge you because of your willful sin. And see, Judah sees all of this happening from the south. And what you would think would happen as they see the Assyrians come in and cart people back to Assyria, what you think would happen by the people of Judah would be, well, I don't want anything about that. 
I see, I see their worship. I see the way they're treating the marginalized people in their culture and in their society. I see all of these things that are happening. I see the way God has judged them. And I don't want that. I don't want the Babylonians to come in and take us. So what we're going to do, Judah, is we're, we're going to be godly people. We're going to worship God properly. We're going to get rid of false gods. We're going to get rid of idols. We're going to take care of the marginalized people because this is the call of our lives. This is why we exist. This is why God has made us to be the people that he's made us to be. We're going to be obedient to God. Well, that's what should have happened. But if you know the story, or better yet, you don't even have to know the story. You can just guess what happened. They didn't do any of those things. So, so God sends these prophets, and Isaiah is one of them, primarily to Judah. And for, for 39 chapters, he basically tells them two things. He says, you are a very sinful people. These sins are going to catch up to you. Oh, and God desires mercy. Because in the midst of this, you are a very sinful person and God is going to judge you and God is going to send Babylon to take you is this undercurrent of God's mercy. See, Judah, all you have to do, all you have to do is worship properly and reveal by the way you treat other people who you worship. And if you just do that, because God desires mercy. The Babylonians aren't going to come in. You can stop this, Judah. But Judah, as you can guess, was not going to turn. And they were going to Babylon. And because God desires mercy, then the rest of the book of Isaiah, the latter 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah, deal with Israel reminding God's people in Judah of this future reality that God's people, again, were going to become one. Israel was going to become one. He uses the word Zion throughout his prophecy. He's telling them that you are going to become one. But this was not just about the technical people of God. This wasn't just about the Jews. It wasn't just about Israel and Judah. This is what we spent the last 17 weeks in Romans talking about. See, God, God has in his mind a new Israel that's marked by a new people of God that includes everyone. It's not just the Jewish people who are going to be restored and become God's people. It's going to be open and available to anyone, Jews and Gentiles. That's most of us, probably all of us, all of us can be included in this kingdom. And that's what Isaiah is saying. But how? How is that going to happen? That sounds, I mean, that sounds impossible. How, how are the people of, of Israel and Judah going to repent of their sin when, they're, when Israel's in Assyria and Judah's in Babylon? Like, like, how are we going to be restored? This all sounds like a really good plan. But How? So Isaiah begins to talk about a person. He talks about a king. He talks about one who is going to bring justice. He talks about one who was commissioned to restore Israel. 
he talks about one who is a comforter of the weary. And if you're playing along, like that's what we're going to talk about the next several weeks. And Isaiah, what he does is he presents a whole series of messages and words on who this person is. The only thing that's going to bring this unity of God's people is a person, is a king. And we know that king's name as Jesus. See, at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he goes to the synagogue to teach in his hometown, and he stands up to read the scriptures. This would have been a common practice. We sort of talked about this, um, I think, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Romans 15. Uh, what would happen is you would go to the synagogue, and it would almost be, if anyone had a word to say, if anyone wanted to, wanted to share a text, share a scripture, you could do that. So Jesus shows up in the synagogue one day and sits down and he's going to read. Someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens it up and like I want you to imagine just a big scroll. Like they didn't have chapter numbers and verses in those days. Right? There's no you version to hurry up and get me to the right text. He has this scroll so I imagine, I wonder how long that took when he opened it to find the text that he wanted to find. The anticipation, what's he going to say? 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 And this is what Jesus reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Do you see how this is justice? Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in the synagogue that day when Jesus says this? How like of all the things that they think Jesus could possibly say next. Man, I can't wait till that day comes. This king that Isaiah is talking about, this one who's going to bring justice, it is going to be so awesome when he shows up because he's going to free us from the Romans and he's going to restore our rightful place in the world as a city on a hill. Won't that be awesome? Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And to give you an idea of how all of the people in the synagogue responded that day, they formed a mob and they chased Jesus out of town to the edge of a cliff to kill him. Because what Jesus has just said is, I am this king. What Jesus has just said is, I am this Messiah. I am the one who is going to unite Israel. 
I am the one who's going to bring Zion back together. I am the one who's going to bring Jews and Gentiles all together. And they wanted to kill him for it. They wanted to murder him for it. Just like the Pharisees that we read about earlier. Because this justice that Jesus is talking about is going to be very disorienting justice for them. And what Jesus says is justice is coming through him. He is going to bring justice to the people. So how does Matthew's use of this text, like how does, how does this fit? Why is, why is Matthew using this text right here, right now, in this moment? Well, it's revealing Jesus as a bringer of justice. He's trying to orient their minds or reorient their minds around what justice means, what justice looks like. And, and here's, what Jesus, here's what justice looks like in Jesus's economy. Hungry people have food to eat. People with lame and deformed hands, they are restored. And it's not just a physical restoration. One of the things that we have to think about, especially about this man with a deformed hand, like we see people who, well, this isn't very politically correct, but it's what the Bible says. We see deformed people all around us. We see people who have physical issues all around us. We see people who have mental and emotional issues all around us. We are surrounded by them. But see, in this day, sort of like it is in our own time, these people were really looked down upon. They were really unwelcome. The reason the guy was in the synagogue, because he couldn't go to the temple. He wasn't allowed to go to the temple. The law wouldn't permit it. So when Jesus heals him and he heals his hand, he's, he's placing him back in community with his Jewish brothers and sisters. What he's saying to them is, this guy's now allowed to participate in all of the things that you participate in. And see, they would have looked down on him as a sinner because it was common in their day. And I think we, we sort of wrestle through this today. When something bad happens to someone, what do we often think? Well, they must have done something to deserve that. They must have done something wrong. Well, that's the mindset. So they see this guy with a deformed hand, and that's their thought. So Jesus' healing doesn't just, doesn't just fix his hand, but it puts him back in right relationship with other people. And see, this is what God's justice looks like. God, God wasn't doing social justice in the way that we think of social justice. God was doing spiritual justice. God was bringing about something else. Freeing the people from the requirements of the law and giving them full access to God's goodness. See, God's way of justice goes far beyond giving people rights. This is, what, this is how our, ten, our culture tends to operate. We think justice is based on rights that we have or we don't have. And, and that's true in part, but it's not what Jesus is after. See, what the Pharisees wanted to do is they wanted to fix, fix what was wrong with the world through the application of the law. This is the mindset of the Pharisees. If everyone would just follow the law, we'd have ourselves a great, ordered society. 
If everyone wouldn't eat, wouldn't work on the Sabbath, we'd have a fantastic community. That's what the people in the town that we, we lived in thought. As long as people aren't hanging their laundry on Sunday, this will be a great community to live in. This is the way the Pharisees are operating. And I think if we're truthful, I think if we're honest about ourselves, we tend to operate in the same way. If everyone would just follow the rules, we'd have a pretty good culture. We'd have a pretty good society. And of course, if you haven't noticed this, the rules tend to change quite quickly, don't they? And what it really looks like is, if everyone would, would follow my rules, we would have ourselves a great culture and a great society. This is what the Pharisees are doing. And the justice that Jesus is bringing is an advanced example of the justification that he is going to offer to us on the cross. See, when he, when he heals, we, we tend to read through, we tend to read through the gospels and we, and we see Jesus healing people and feeding people and serving people and casting out demons and doing all of these things. And we kind of look at that the way Ricky Bobby thinks about eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Jesus is so wonderful. You know, if, if, we would just, if we would just do those things, our culture would be so great. And it's true. We are called to look out for marginalized people in our society. It's why the Jews were sent into exile for not doing it. Christians, this is what we are called to do. We are called to serve. We're called to love. We're called to meet needs. We're called to do all of these things. But... But we don't do those things as an end. So we do those things because of what Jesus has done for us. And this is, this is where our culture gets this wrong. Because what Jesus is doing is kind of like, a, kind of like foreshadowing what it's really going to look like when, when the king really comes, when the king really shows up, and the new heaven comes to the new earth and, and paints a picture of no sorrow and no tears and no death and no pain and no crying. That's the world that we all want, right? Well, this is a good news, bad news thing. That only comes through Jesus. No matter how hard we strive to bring about this perfect society, Absent Jesus, it's not going to happen. Because what Jesus is doing is he's foreshadowing what his kingdom is going to be like. See, what God wants to do is he wants to, he wants to declare us positionally right with him. He wants, to, he wants to declare us and reveal to us that we are in right relationship with God. That's what justice looks like through Jesus we are right with God. We are right with God. We are just. We are right with God. Jesus did not die to make us good people. There are lots of good people. Jesus didn't die to make us good people. See, Jesus died to make us right with God. Jesus died to bring us into a right relationship with God. And this is more 
This is the justice that Jesus offered to his people. This is the justice that Jesus came to bring. See, he wanted more than just the reunification of a nation state. And this gets in the minds of the disciples all the time. If we were to read through the four gospels, we would see them perpetually desiring to have Israel restored. That's the thing that the disciples asked Jesus before he ascends to heaven. Jesus, are we now, are you now going to restore us as the right nation? See, Jesus has so much more planned for his people than that. His justice brings us unification with God, not as a nation state. And once we've been justified by Jesus and because of him, we begin to fulfill God's original destiny by bringing justice to the people that we meet every single day. By demonstrating justice to the people that we meet every single day. See, our call, we represent God in the world. That's what it means to be an image bearer of God. If you've ever, you know, you've read through the first couple chapters of Genesis and we ask this question, he created them in his own image, what does that mean? Well, it means that we are to represent God here. We are his image bearer. We represent him. We reflect God in the world. We do the things that he would do. We don't, we don't take out the Bible. We don't use the Bible as an opportunity to bludgeon other people into submission. Have you ever met one of those people? Better question, have you ever been one of those people? It's not what we're called to do. We're not called to bludgeon people with God's law. We're called to use the law as an opportunity to love and show mercy and kindness and grace to one another. We're called to demonstrate how the law does those things. We don't fight or shout or raise our voice in public. We don't crush the weakest reed or put out flickering candles. See, what we do is we recognize people who are suffering. And rather than, rather than pile on to them, what we do is reach out to them. We show them love and mercy. We try to meet their needs. This is what we're called to do as Christians. Jesus caused justice to be victorious through his death, resurrection, and ascension. And see, we, we demonstrate that that victory is real, not only when we live a certain way, not only when it affects like our personal ethic, but when we bring that ethic to bear on the lives of other people. When we serve, when we help meet needs, especially, especially when their sinfulness got them into the situation. See, some of us have this mindset where we think, well, they got themselves into that situation. They made all of these really bad choices. They made really all these really bad decisions, and I'm not going to help them. That's not the gospel. Imagine for a moment if the Trinity one day was having the Trinity staff meeting Monday at 9.30 and somebody says, 
you know, we should go down there and we should, we should save them. Jesus, you should do that. Imagine if Jesus said, well, I don't know. They kind of got themselves into that situation. Have you seen what they've done? I'm not going down there. See, that's not the way God worked with us. That doesn't mean there's, there's not accountability. That doesn't mean there aren't attempts to help people work through their sin issues because we're called to do those things. But we're called to love and serve people despite their sinfulness. See, Jesus was and is an unexpected savior because he was chosen to bring justice in a way that deals with what's really wrong. That's what Jesus wants to fix. It wasn't that the, that the disciples weren't supposed to eat food on the Sabbath or he healed this man. Like, that's not what's really wrong with society is people aren't following the law. What's wrong with society is people are out of relationship with God and Jesus came to fix that. That's his mission. That's his purpose. And if you truly want Jesus, want justice, then you want Jesus. It's popular to want justice. But if you want justice, what you're going to want is Jesus. And you'll demonstrate this by submitting to him, by accepting him, by accepting his sacrifice, by believing in him as Lord, by repenting of your sin. You'll demonstrate that by being baptized because it's an indication of new life. You will demonstrate that you want justice by confessing that Jesus is Lord through your thoughts and your words and your deeds. And here's the thing. If you are truly a Jesus follower, then you will truly want justice. And you'll demonstrate this by loving and serving and being merciful with people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who has come to bring justice, who has chosen to bring justice. And we know that ultimate justice was demonstrated for us on the cross. It is through that work that we are made right with you, that we can be made right with you. I pray that as those of us who are followers of Christ in the room, as those of us who are followers in the Christ, of Christ in the room, I pray that we would be bringers of justice. We would desire to see what you, what you not only are doing, but you have done through Jesus, and we would desire to be a part of it. Help us to not shrink back from that. And for those of us who who want justice and we are seeking it in every way other than Jesus. Help us to see that that is a faulty justice. It's a temporary justice. It's a justice that falls short because what you have done is brought justice through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.